And when I hear people say, yeah, I'm miserable and I hate my job, but I get to retire in 10 years. I think, good Lord, what a horrible way to spend 10 years. So I'm so glad you said that. A lot of hours, a lot of days of, um, of not being happy. Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm Amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher. If you're anything like I used to be, you've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do, and now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. Today, I have an amazing guest, Nancy Murphy, with me today. Nancy has spent her career saying what others are afraid to say and learning to say it in ways that others will listen. She's the founder and president of CSR Communications and creator of Entrepreneurs Influence Lab. Her passion is teaching leaders how to make organizational changes stick. Nancy worked in philanthropy for Steve and Gene Case's Family Foundation as a federal government program officer and as a global consultant for APCO Worldwide, where she worked with brands including UPS and Johnson Controls and nonprofit organizations including the Kellogg Foundation and Annie E. Casey Foundation. Nancy mentors and advises executives from local governments, federal agencies, global nonprofits, foundations, and Fortune 100 companies. I'm really excited to dig into this episode to talk to Nancy and learn more about the way that she approaches business, her leadership style of communications, and of course, how she approaches success and designs her life around that. Before we dig into that, I wanted to take just a minute to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Success Development Solutions and the Design Your Life Book Club. I'm a believer that your level of personal development is really dictated or dictates your level of success, right? You you grow through the stories and information and lessons of others. So the Design Your Life Book Club is a very specific group of books that are selected to help you grow in all areas of your life. And the really cool thing is after we read them and talk about them, I introduce you to the author and you get a chance to talk to the author, learn from them on a one-on-one basis and be able to really connect with people that are making content that is impacting your life. If that sounds like something that interests you, go ahead and click the Calendly link below. Let's jump on a call and let's see if it's a good fit. Let's go ahead and jump into this interview with Nancy. Hi, Nancy. How are you? Hi, Amber. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for being here. So I want to start off and go back just a little bit and learn about you and and who you are and what brought you to where you're at now in your life. So one of the really interesting things for me is looking at the difference between where we thought we'd be and where we actually end up. When you were, I don't know, high school age, um, 15, 16, what did you think you were going to do with your life? What did you want to be when you grew up? Well, that's a fun question. And 
I think I'd actually forgotten this until a few years ago when my parents were cleaning some stuff out of their house, the house that um, I grew up in. And they said, hey, can you come, you know, look through your stuff and take what you want? We're going to get rid of the rest. And I found a bunch of things from my high school Latin class where a friend and I were talking about being lobbyists. Oh, my gosh. I don't know how I even knew what a lobbyist was at that point. Um, funny thing, the friend did go on to become a lobbyist in the state of Ohio fighting for smoke-free environments. Um, I sort of went a different path, but came back to influence in the end. And so I guess I'm still using the skills I thought I would use as a lobbyist, <laughs> but I did not become a lobbyist. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting. The more I do these episodes and the more I ask people that question, it's so cool to hear the in-depth things that people actually wanted to be. Um a lobbyist is really interesting. So did you have attorneys or politicians or lobbyists or anybody that was involved in that world in your family? Or where do you think that came from? Absolutely not. In fact, my family is more full of entrepreneurs than anything. So I guess I come by my business ownership and my entrepreneurship, honestly. But um I think it was because in Latin class, you know, one of the reasons that anyone studies Latin besides being in a Catholic school where you're told, you know, that's what the smart kids study. Really, right. I should have studied Spanish, right? Um, you and me both. <laughs> but, you know, we're, that's what a lot of people do when they're thinking about law school is understanding Latin. And um, I guess maybe in that process, I was very sort of politically aware and was active in a lot of causes and probably and always thought I wanted to live and work in Washington, D.C. And I guess I thought, well, if you live and work in Washington, D.C., you're either working for the federal government or you're advocating on behalf of other organizations to the federal government. So I chose that side. In the end, when I made my way to D.C. several years later, I went to work for the federal government. So <laughs> so you there eventually, just maybe I on did. a different side than you expected. So your family was this entrepreneurial and business owner experience. And what lessons do you think that you learned from them growing up that really helped you propel yourself when it comes to mentoring other business owners? My uh, dad's family, my grand paternal grandfather started a graphic arts printing supply um, and dictation equipment company. None of those industries are particularly <laughs> relevant still in 2021. But um, one of the things I learned, you know, it was a relatively small company, probably fewer than 25 employees, even at its at its peak. Um, my dad, you know, did everything over the years growing up from driving a truck in the warehouse to sales um, to working in the accounting department. And so we... Um, all saw firsthand the customer responsiveness. Mm -hmm. His customers ran their operations, most of them 24 hours a day, right? Printers are mm -hmm. often running three, well, back in the day, three shifts. Yeah. Um, the Columbus Dispatch was one of their customers. So they're printing a newspaper overnight. So inevitably someone would run out of ink or plates or paper and they would call my dad at home right? Because this was before cell phones, right? We might be in the middle of the dinner, he might be, you know, getting ready to put us to bed or something. And, you know, off he goes to take care of the customer's needs. And 
that I think solidified for me a very deep sense of service and customer orientation. Um, we had, you know, uh, company picnics that all of the kids participated in. We did volunteer things together. And so I think that also solidified for me the way a business can be um, ingrained in, committed to a community and can benefit mm. the community in lots of different ways. And so those are some of the, the lessons that um, I brought to bear. I think that's really cool um, because it's different than I expected you to say, and yet mm. so true. Um, that level of um, attention that your clients need, depending on the business that you're in, really dictates how you do business. Mm. And the as, as business owners and entrepreneurs, I don't know that we actually have a standard shift that we work, mm -hmm. but the idea of what freedom means is completely different when it comes to taking your client's um, needs into account. So I think that's a really interesting answer. Yeah. You know, the, the sort of final thing I'll say on that. Um, so there are a couple different entrepreneurs in our family, but on, on that one is, it was only sort of years later that I think I came to fully appreciate, you know, what my dad eventually shared, which was my grandfather was the gregarious Irishman. He was the consummate salesman, right? He was very involved in the community. He was a community leader in Columbus and Central Ohio and um, was that sort of classic storyteller. You know, everybody enjoyed him, life of the party. And um, my grandmother, he said later, was really the brains behind the business. So even though she never technically worked a day in the business, she was raising five kids and involved in church and other community things on her own. I think I realized that um, she was a college educated woman in a generation when not many women went to college mm -hmm. and that she really was the woman behind the man who, you know, made the success happen. And he might have been that sort of gregarious front man, if you will, but she was the brains behind the business. And so that's always stuck with me since I learned that and really fully appreciated it and thought, huh, how might that relationship have been different if it was happening in, you know, 2020 as opposed to 1940 or 1950? Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting because it was so uncommonly common. Mm -hmm. And and what I mean by that is everybody knew that's the way it worked most of the time, yet it wasn't talked about. And the men were still kind of the front of that mm -hmm. household. Um, now it is completely different in the aspect that um, it doesn't seem like it's the male dominated world like it used to be, yet um, there's always that woman's presence behind, which I think is so important in in connection and growth and 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 building up a business and and community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so for you, when did you realize through your um, work history and working for the government and the corporate jobs that you had, when did you realize that you really wanted to help people lead and communicate better? I probably always had that inclination. So you asked when I realized it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's definitely much later. Um, but, I, you know, sort of in hindsight, when I look back, even at things I was doing in high school and college were, were around sort of that effective 
um, advocacy or engagement or communication or marketing in a lot of ways, even though that wasn't what I was studying in school, in college. I think when I finally realized that was maybe on my third iteration of being an intrapreneur myself, yeah. being that internal change agent and getting to a point once again, where I thought, I'm tired of beating my head against the wall. I'm not sure that I can get this switch to flip the way I want it to. And, you know, people know you're that internal change agent. You sort of get that reputation in the community, at least, you know, in DC, that can be a very small <laughs> world in a lot of ways, yes. um, even though it's a big city. And so the next opportunity comes along and I'm like, oh, well, look at that. I'll just go over here and, you know, lead change. They want me to come lead change over here and, you know, sort of finding myself in that cycle. And I realized at that point that I had learned a lot of things about what works, what doesn't. Um, some of the patterns of frustration and getting to sort of that same just before the tipping point, but reaching your boiling point. <laughs> and so you're like, guess what? I'm out. And I was working, you know, I realized that a lot of the clients I had worked with inside the global consulting firm um, as a board chair, a lot of the CEO partners I had were those internal change agents, and I was partnering with them. And they would get just before that tipping point and give up. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, okay, what if I, I have a point of view, I have some experience, I have some lessons that were hard earned and learned. What if I took that and helped those folks make it past the tipping point, you know, stick with it just a little bit longer, accelerate how quickly they could get to the tipping point and reduce that frustration. Imagine the change we could see in the world yeah. because these folks are working, they're leading change inside organizations that are at scale, that have huge reach. And if we can get them to change, whoa, that's a pretty fast path to a better world. Yeah, I think it's crazy what something as horrible as COVID did for shaking up the way that people thought mm. things needed to be done. You know what I mean? Um, I'm in the legal profession, so it's interesting mm. that you mentioned law school and, and Latin. I'm in the legal profession, and for a long time, I'd been trying to take my law firm virtual, and I was like, that's just not the way it's done, right? Mm. How many times do we? It's not the way it's done. And so I started to put the steps in place to make it that way. But I just couldn't, just like you said, couldn't get over that tipping point of change. And then COVID happened and all of a sudden everything had to change. So I'm interested to know with your experiences of working with organizations and trying to get them to embrace change and, and make the changes that need to be made. Has it been easier to get through to them on a, with the change of the way that the world is running right now, or is it just different? Well, so first I want to clarify one thing. I don't, I'm always hesitant to say I'm changing organizations. Mm -hmm. um, I think that can be a fairly common, but also fairly arrogant kind of external consultant position. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I, I might put some things out in the world that I hope are thought provoking and compelling, but it is those intrapreneurs, those unsung heroes who are the ones that are going to change that organization. If I can be a facilitator in that process or a support or um, offer tools and techniques that make that happen faster with less pain, I want to be that person. But I, I don't like to say I'm out there changing organizations. Um I like to support and facilitate the change that they or that some of the leaders want to make. They just don't know maybe how to do it as fast. Yeah. Or as so with that said, thinking about the context of COVID, um, you know, I think it's hard to say universally, right? In some ways, and, and, and this was a message I was putting out to the entrepreneurs that I support a lot in the last 18 months, when everything is an upheaval, yeah. right? Like the status quo is already turned on its head. So like, why not question everything? Because yeah. now is the time, right? People are like, well, whatever, you know, it, it, like who, who thinks anything is going to stay the same? So there are, in some ways it can be easier. Um, in a lot of ways, consciousness was raised, right? There was um, mm -hmm. an environment or a context in which more people, more leaders across organizations were having conversations they never had before. So that kind of gives some cover to maybe push a little further than people were willing to do before. And at the same time, so much change was kind of being thrown at people, even people who, you know, say they like change and they're the <laughs> change agents. It's yes. like, so like the sponge is full. I can't absorb any more. So if like every day there's a new change coming down the pike that's, that people have to react to, and now you're proactively trying to throw more change on top mm -hmm. of that, in some ways that caused things to slow down. Or people just were so distracted with the problem of the hour that it was hard to focus on in this context, what's the long-term vision I have mm -hmm. and how do I keep that moving while I'm solving the problem of the hour? Yeah. You know, it's in what I love about the message that you're putting out is we tend to, when we're involved in big organizations, think that we feel helpless about the way that that organization is going, mm -hmm. right? And think that changes have to come from a leadership position, um, which sometimes they do. However, we all have those things that we can start to do within an organization to make change. So for those people who are maybe leading small businesses that experience the same struggles, but on a much smaller scale mm -hmm. of trying to change a culture that has um, become toxic or trying to change um, the way that they want their business to go. And they're receiving that resistance from others and from themselves. What are a couple pieces of advice that you would have for them of how to really start getting that change rolling within their organization? So I think for anyone who has an idea for change, whether you're the CEO or you're, you know, a relatively early career person inside an organization, um, a few things are kind of universal. So, you know, one is curiosity. So when we first experience resistance, what's most humans natural reaction? Shut down. Shut down. Yeah. Defensiveness. They're idiots. They don't get it, right? It's all the other person or other group of people's fault. Um, 
they don't um, they don't respect me. Right. It, it either becomes about us. It becomes about how, you know, they're old, stuck in the mud, resist, you know, they're um, negative, you know, all of those things. They just don't get it. So if we can, instead of getting furious, you know, defensive, shutting down, giving up, if we can get curious. What's going on underneath or behind that? Um, can we do some perspective taking? Right. This is I say that well to everyone, leaders as well, but especially sometimes um, early career employees who probably do have really interesting, innovative ideas that they're trying to advocate in their organizations because they've got a fresh perspective. Maybe it's a generational difference. How can you understand the perspective of those you're trying to influence? Mm -hmm. Right. How do you understand what it is they're held accountable for every day, what their fears and anxieties are, what their mm. dreams and desires are? And if we can position the idea, the thing we want, the change we desire, sort of in that context, if we can have some empathy for, you know, why the, you know, since you're in the old profession, why the general counsel starts with no rather than yes. Yeah. Right. Or why the CFO is like, well, how are you going to pay for that? Yeah. You know, it, OK, that's a good question. And when we get curious instead of defensive, when we can have those conversations from a perspective shift, empathetic mindset, we can learn a whole lot about maybe some of the flaws in our ideas. Yeah. Ways to make them stronger. Right. Like resist. If you think about resistance training, like you go to the gym and you lift weights or the track athletes or the football players who run with those parachutes tethered to them, they're intentionally creating resistance. Why? Because it makes us stronger. Stronger. Yeah. When we remove the resistance, we can go even faster, you know, move even more agilely, if that's a word. Um. It is now. It is now. I keep a dictionary of the words that I've created, and I'm sure they're going to be go. mainstream someday. <laughs> move with more agility. How's that? Yes. Um, yes, you know, I like so it. I, I think resistance can be a very powerful gift if we let it. Yeah, that's a super, super powerful message on so many fronts, that resistance being a powerful gift if we let it. or um, And that goes into everything, whether you're changing something internally within yourself, whether you're changing something in a family situation, whether you're changing something in a business. Like when you meet that resistance, that curiosity, that changes the game for all different types of situations where you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And I'll tell you, the the other part of that gift is when the resistance is overt, we can do something about it. We can learn from it. We can engage in dialogue. We can tweak a little bit. We can educate the other person. We can, you know, massage the idea, the messaging, all of that. When the resistance is covert, that's like the death knell to your change mm. idea. That That is where you get that toxic culture. You know, you start to create that sort of under the radar sort of mumbling and grumbling and and you can't do anything about it if it's not overt. So I always welcome the overt resistance yeah. because it is an opportunity to start a conversation. Yeah, that communication side of it is so important, right? Like you can't have um, that two-way conversation with the empathy that you were talking about just a minute ago without the other part of that conversation. Right. Um, and I think that this is something that 
new business owners and entrepreneurs are embracing a little bit more. I feel like the older generation um, of business owners had that, um, I don't want to call it a masculine idea, but like this masculine energy of my name's on the door. It's my business. It's mm -hmm. my boss. You do this. This is your role. This is what matters. And whether it's um, generational or societal, mm -hmm. I don't know the answer, but we're kind of moving into this more family-based business style of how do we create something that allows people to be happy, not just create a bunch of money. And when we do that, we have to have that communication from both sides. Yeah. I mean, I think this is one thing that I mean, I'll admit as an entrepreneur, I struggle with this as well, because a lot of the messages we get, and and maybe this is sort of that old school masculine leadership style that you're that you were mentioning, but a lot of the messaging we get as entrepreneurs is, you know, the the business brand is your personal brand mm -hmm. and it's your business. So if your style is this, don't try to change your style, make everybody work to your, you know, and yeah. I'm like, well. Yeah. On one hand, that's like, whoo, great. Talk about freedom. and I mean, I might work 20 hours a day, but I make everybody else work the way I want to work and everybody yeah. has to, you know, and, and I do struggle with that sometimes. So I think um, the co-creation piece can be very hard for any leader, whether you're a leader of a small business, whether you're the leader of a global nonprofit, whether you're right, because we can often fall so in love with our ideas. Yes. And for small business owners, I mean, the business is a lot of our identity. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden to start to, you know, share some of that control and that have space for that co-creation can feel very scary. Yeah. The beauty that comes from it, it is amazing though, once you let it go. Like once you start to bring in the ideas of people around you that when combined with your ideas, create something better than you ever could have imagined on your own. But it requires dropping that ego of this is my business, I'll do it, it's going to be the way that I want it to be, um, which is a terrifying place to be because we feel like we're giving up control. Mm -hmm. Definitely. <laughs> so for individuals that are in a, a lot of the listeners are still working in a corporate environment or are still mm -hmm. working in a nine to five. And many of them are unfulfilled. And for those people that say, I really like my job, I just, I, I feel like I'm in a toxic environment. I feel like um, I don't have a say. I don't know where I'm going from here. What advice do you have for somebody who may not be in a leadership position that is in a um, employee position to start these conversations, to start to have that co-creator or that, that open resistance to start those conversations? Yeah, I mean, that it's certainly a tricky thing um, because a lot of people inside corporate will say, you know, yeah, I want to stick my neck out, but guess what happens when you do? You risk it getting cut off, right? Yeah. And so sometimes it's easier, especially in the current economy where there's a demand for quality employees, right? It can be easier just to walk out the door. So I guess, you know, number one, Almost nothing makes me sadder than people who say, well, you know, I only have 14 years left, so Ugh. I'm just going to, you know, and I'm like, oh my goodness. Yes. So I guess getting really clear on 
and this is true for anyone in almost any situation, what are your core values as a person? What do you stand for? Where do you find meaning in life? You know, what are you willing to advocate for? And if all of those things, once you get really clear, if you can ask yourself some tough questions first, you know, where am, am I spending my time that is misaligned or incongruent? Yeah. Um, what have I tried so far? How much further am I willing to push it before it becomes untenable for me here? And what am I willing to sacrifice in service of these things that are important to me? Because I do believe that um, as scary as it can be, staying in an environment over which you're, it becomes clear you have no control or influence, um, just because you're afraid of what might be on the other side, I would be more afraid of what am I missing on the other side, right? So how can you get yourself into that place? And yeah. trust that when you live aligned with your values and what matters to you, that, you know, the paycheck will come. You're speaking my language. I love it. Um, and and I've said the same thing, you know, in the legal field, as I talk to attorneys that um, are unfulfilled, and I just went through this, that's where this podcast started was, mm. how do I start to figure out what makes me feel human again after being in the legal field for so long. And when I hear people say, yeah, I'm miserable and I hate my job, but I get to retire in 10 years. I think, good Lord, what a horrible way to spend 10 years. So I'm so minutes, glad you said a that. A lot of hours, yeah. a lot of days of, um, of not being happy. Yeah. So. And, and let's hope you make it to the other side of that 10 years. Cause that's not always guaranteed either. So, yeah. um, you've given so much amazing information on this podcast. And, um, if anybody wants to continue to receive information from you or learn more about like tips that you can give them, where can they follow up with that? So the easiest thing is to go to our website at csrcommunications.com. And if you do forward slash weekly, you can sign up for Ingenious, which are our weekly actionable gems for influential entrepreneurs. They're consumable in two minutes or less because nobody has time for anything more than that these days. And we'll <laughs> yes. give you something you can act on immediately for a lot of the challenges and situations that you've asked me about here today. So that's the first one. Um, the second one is follow us on LinkedIn, either CSR Communications or me personally, Nancy A. Murphy on LinkedIn. I'm very active there and I'd love to connect with people. That's awesome. I think that those two minute gems are so important. Mm -hmm. And then I should have done this in the beginning and I didn't. So I'm going to do it now. Um, this entrepreneur is such an amazing term that that you've created for for the people that you work with, how do you really define that? What is an entrepreneur to you? So entrepreneurs are those folks who are changing our large legacy organizations from within. So they bring that entrepreneurial spirit, that innovation, that disruptive mindset, but they're changing those industry systems and organizations from within. And I call them the unsung heroes of organizational change because, you know, we might have 
the handful of folks who go out and proclaim the grand gestures, you know, make the press conference, uh, you know, proclaim we're going to have 50% female leadership by 2030 or, you know, 20% diverse board directors, whatever. Um, but though there are folks who need to do the small strategic sustained action over time that makes change stick. So entrepreneurs are the ones who do that hard work day after day. And it's amazing that you're really opening up how um, important these roles are because it allows people who maybe don't have the entrepreneurial risk aversion that's necessary mm -hmm. to jump out and do your, your own thing to feel that sense of accomplishment, purpose, and change in something that's bigger than what they could ever create. Absolutely. I mean, that's why I value these entrepreneurs, right? Because the entrepreneur is going to be small at first in the impact they have, and they may never grow. But if an entrepreneur can unlock that reach, those resources, the expertise, the financial stability, the history of those large organizations, you know, like I said, whew, we're going to get the world we want so much faster. And yes. I think we need, you know, there are opportunities, needs and desire for that innovative entrepreneurial spirit inside our larger legacy organizations. Mm -hmm. And I think it is a good sort of balance of those folks who are like, mm, I don't necessarily want to go it on my own, but I've got I see the world in a slightly different way, right? Like yes. I see opportunity and creativity and possibility and, and I want to do it in this space and, you know, more power to you. That's who I'm here to serve. Yeah. Which I would say is almost harder than creating it on your own. Like, yes, we have the risk aversion on our own, yet we control the environment that we work in when we're a solo or um, small business entrepreneur. When you're in a big organization trying to make change, I feel like sometimes it seems like you're um, pedaling on like a paper bike and like 30 mile hour headwinds. Yeah. I mean, it is definitely that like Sisyphean task, right? Of pushing the rock up the hill and having it continue to roll yes. back, you know, the, the two steps forward, three steps back sometimes. And um, like oftentimes people say, yeah, I feel like I'm beating my head against the wall or, um, my colleagues hide from me in the hall because <laughs> I'm that broken record that just keeps facing them about all these things we need to do differently. And, you know, look, we need entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs yes. in the world, right? Absolutely. Yep. And different things about each are going to be scary and super exciting to different people. So thank goodness we've got different humans in the world. Yes, exactly. That was one of the most important things I had to figure out when I started my business is that the things that I absolutely hate doing, there are people out there who love them. Absolutely. And like I get to go find them and I'm so glad they exist. Thank you to my bookkeeper right now because I'm so <laughs> glad that there are people out there who like numbers. I am not one of them. Um, so when we start to realize that, you know, those people are so important in all different areas and we can work together to really create this world that we want, I think mm. that's an amazing message you're spreading. Yeah. I mean, thank goodness for my lawyer too. I will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everybody likes us when they meet us and then yeah, we get I the mean, brunt of all the jokes outside of that, but it's okay. No, she gets super excited about solving the problems that, you know, make me want to pull my hair out. So absolutely. Yes. I mean, whether we're entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs, 
all of us have things that are our zone of genius and the things that we could do all day long and it never would feel like work. So we just need to find those compliments of others who kind of round us out. Yes, of course. All right. So I want to go ahead and switch this over to the success element for just a minute. I believe that the life that you want to create, whether it's as an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur, is only created when you understand what success means to you and can build a life with that definition in mind. So mm -hmm. my question to you is, what does success mean? How do you define it for yourself individually? For me, I think it's a couple of parts. One am I living a life that is more, it may not be perfectly 100% of the time, but is more congruent and aligned with my values, what's important to me, um, the difference I want to make in the world. So making choices about where I spend my time, where I invest my money, who I partner with, who I accept as a client based on that is success to me. And, you know, doing, making the sacrifices and the choices sometimes that come along with um, that alignment and being good with that, that is success for me. And the yeah. second part of that, you know, as a single woman is absolutely financial independence and, you know, sort of that future sustainability and stability. So you might look at my life and think, I don't see how those things, <laughs> but you know, for me, and this isn't for everyone, right? That what that looks like is going to be different for everyone, but mm -hmm. I've certainly lived frugally. So people would look at my life, my 2006 Subaru Forester that's sitting <laughs> on the doorway right now, you know, and, and they would understand the choices I've made from a financial independence standpoint. My dad always told his four daughters when we were younger, you know, the, <clears throat> the second you get a chance to invest in a retirement, you know, put as much money away as you possibly can. Everything that your employer will match, you should always do that. Um, and at the same time, like during COVID, when friends of mine who were employed by large organizations and were saying to me, oh my gosh, I, you know, you must be so scared right now, given what's happening and the economy and the threat. And I said, you know what? I'm actually not. If I were you, I'd be scared because your future yeah. is relying on the decisions and hustle of somebody else. Mm -hmm. I'm completely confident in my own ability to get creative, get innovative, to work hard and find a path forward. So I would much rather be reliant on myself. And so that for me is success. Yeah, that false sense of security that we seem to fall into when we're working for someone else is so crazy. And for me, I had never thought about running a business before, never wanted to do it. I was mm. so risk adverse until I was working for a company that there were conversations about whether we were going to get paychecks every now and then. Mm. And it was that reminder that the only difference between a big company and me and a small company is that I have zero control over what happens. Like the future in and of itself is just as volatile I just don't know about it. And mm. they're really good at hiding it, right? So I think that's really interesting. Um, the second part of that question is with this big, amazing definition of success, when we put our head down and start to work towards that, it's so easy to get off track if we're not constantly checking mm. in. So how do you check in with yourself to make sure that number one, the things that you're committing to move you towards that definition of success? And number two, that even if you've committed, that they're still working for you and, and that you're still spending your time and energy where you should be. 
Yeah. So I am a big proponent of practice equals result. So I have a series of daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually practices that keep me aligned, that keep me on track. And I can always tell if things are just like a little, eh, or I'm feeling kind of spinny, or I'm like, not really focused. Ah, you know, oh, I, I kind of skipped my meditation like Mm. three times this week, my daily morning routine, you know, I kind of, oh, I didn't do my weekly Sunday planning and, um, you know, sort of regrounding myself and my goals or I didn't. So I am um, probably people who hear me say this a lot are like, oh my gosh, Nancy, like enough already. But, um, but I, I am a firm believer in the power of reflection in um, pausing. I mean, we're coming up um, on the winter solstice and I have a whole practice I do around that, around review and reflection of the year. And what patterns do I see? And what lessons can I take from that? And what am I going to do differently next year as a result of that? And I think so many times, like it's, it's sometimes hard, not just to make time for that reflection and review, but to to be open to what you're going to learn about yourself in that process. So it's easier to just stay busy. And yeah. I don't want to be just busy. Yeah. That second part is what always gets me is being open to what you're going to find out about yourself. Um, because it can be an uncomfortable, scary, dark cave to go down. Um, but it always leads to such amazingness, like all the dark areas do, right? Um, but you have to be willing to do that self-reflection. I love that answer. Um, before we start to wrap up, I would love to do a quick random round. Let everybody get to know you just a little bit and have a little bit of fun with it. Are you okay with that? Yep. Perfect. If you could have any profession other than what you're doing now, what do you think would be fun to attempt? Oh my goodness. Um, maybe like those Cirque du Soleil people. I love like the combination of strength, flexibility, grace, beauty. Yeah. Probably never would be capable of it, but that would be my dream. Yeah. That's, I love those shows. I'm I'm in Vegas, so I haven't been to as many Mm -hmm. of them as I would like to be. Um, but I follow a guy on TikTok who's a a diver for one of them and Mm. he posts a lot of his practice videos and I'm like, Oh, I'm sick just watching, but it looks like a lot of fun. So, um, if you could time travel, where would you go and why? I probably, so I have this somewhat like odd fascination with the World War II era, sort of like coming out of the depression and pre-baby boom. Um, I mean, I know some people probably want to go way in the future and (laughs) I don't know. I'm sort of like, I'm fine sort of letting the future unfold. Um, And maybe like way distant past. I don't know. There were too many things that were probably not so pleasant about life back then. (laughs) Um, And not that like life was pleasant for a lot of people in the world or in the U.S., um, like women and and black people at that time, for sure. Um, But I'm just sort of fascinated with like the things that like the changes that we're seeing today that were starting to happen at that time. Mm -hmm. And 
um, like the cohesiveness that happened in some ways when you're sort of rallying people um, together around something. And so I don't know, I think I'd be curious to maybe explore a little bit of that time period. Very cool. Um, what book have you recommended to business owners or entrepreneurs or intrapreneurs um, mm -hmm. the most? That's a hard one for me because um, if you could see my office, I am in <laughs> love with books. I just moved um, from Virginia to Maryland. And today, now that I have my new driver's license, I went to sign up for a library card. Oh, my gosh. And the woman at the library, I think she was so thrilled to see me because I was almost crying. I was so excited to have a new library card and to explore this <laughs> library. So it's very hard for me to say what book I've recommended the most. There are many. Um, so I will share two. One is called Practice, because what did I say earlier, right? Yes. Practice is, and so, and it's a very, um, it's a short book. It's an easy read. It is beautiful. And I often give it to people in my Entrepreneur's Influence Lab. And the second one that I've recommended a lot recently is called Own the Room. And it's, um, I think it's a great book. I'm forgetting the two authors' names. They're both women. Um, but I think it's a really great book for women who are sort of trying to find their leadership voice and for people who are moving from that, like I've led a team or a department and now I'm looking at more of an enterprise leadership and how do I make that shift? Because your priorities and, and sort of what you advocate for are different at those different levels. And a lot of people can't make the leap. So to me, that's a, a book I've recommended a lot recently. That's awesome. And my last question, and again, this is purely selfish because I'm a huge music nerd. What's your pump up song? What do you listen to when you just have to have a good day? Well, again, that depends. My music taste is quite wide ranging. Um, I choose a word of the year every year. That's one of my annual practices. This year, my word is um, shine. And so I've been doing walking on sunshine a lot this Ooh, year. Oh, that's exciting. I love that. I love that so much. And I, I love to do it right have. before podcast interviews, as a matter of fact. So that's my pump up podcast song. <laughs> that's so cool. And um, somebody asked a question in the group. They wanted to clarify the second book. Was it called um, Own the Room or Open the Room? Oh, sorry. Own. Own, Own the, the room. room. Perfect. Um, it was interesting that you had a word of your year because I had never realized I did this. Um, and I, I didn't do it intentionally until this year where I would have a word for the year. And I noticed that there was just things that were screaming at me and it's mm -hmm. been in so many different podcast interviews. And you mentioned it today, which I always mm -hmm. smile is the word curiosity. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's my word for the year. So I love that you mentioned that you had one. Oh, I love that. Congratulations. Thank you, Nancy. It was amazing to talk to you. CSRcommunications.com. We'll put that all in the show notes for you so that you guys can follow up and get more of these amazing gems from Nancy. Nancy, I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Amber. What a great conversation. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. If anything that was said during this episode resonated with you or provided value in any way, it would mean the world to me if you would head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the More Than Corporate Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you. If you'd also like to connect, I've created a Facebook group that is full of amazing people who also make it their mission to live their best life every single day. If that 
that sounds like something that you're interested in, the name of that Facebook group is Success Center. Head over there, request to join, and I look forward to connecting with you soon.